Great music, engaging talk, and good memories for our generation. You are listening to Lifestyles 55 Digital Radio. How many kinds of sweet flowers grow in an English country garden? You're listening to Lifestyles 55 Digital Radio. It's time for The Gardener with Dorothy Doby. Good morning, gardeners, and it's another beautiful day in Manitoba. This is my second time around. I screwed up the first recording, so if Sherry and I said, if we sound a little worn out, well, it's because we are. We already <laughs> did this. We already did this, yes, but you couldn't hear us, so here we go again. My guest this morning is Sherry Verse Lewis of the Preferred Perch. She's the owner there uh, over on St. Mary's Road and uh, a wonderful little bird store. So we've been talking about the birds, basically, Sherry? Yes. Well, we were talking a bit about winter and how much darn snow there was. And uh, like I say, I've got such huge mountains of snow here. I think I'll have snow in my garden till July at this point. But um, and the birding you, was quite good this year. Because you, you said you have already gone through 800 pounds of black oil seed. Of the shelled sunflower, actually. the Yeah, I've gone through 800 pounds of shelled sunflower. I've probably gone through about 150 of the black sunflower and dozens and dozens of suet cakes this winter. So the birds have definitely had a party over at my place. No kidding. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to your place anytime. And it's yeah. you know, a beautiful, um, I think you must have an amazing yard. I want you to get me a picture of your yard so that we can put it up with our, our show sometime. Because how many okay. bird houses do you have? How many bird feeders do you have? It changes seasonally, but I definitely have anywhere from a dozen to 24 feeders up at a time. Holy cow. In spring, yeah, in spring, I really go to town uh, adding, you know, my Oriole and hummingbird feeders and extra feeders just because of all the new birds showing up. So, so yeah, it just depends on the time of year, but sometimes it takes me 45 minutes to an hour to get out there to tend to all the feeders and get them all filled up. <laughs> so I think, I think you're the real hero for being able to get them all filled this year because many gardeners said, oh, I gave up. I can't, I, I just couldn't get through the snow. I trudge through no matter what and keep a path going. I mean, there were some mornings I got up and thought, oh my God, it's my path is overloaded again. But I have these big boots that I trudge through and just make a path and wear it down. And I keep that path going no matter what. So, <laughs> so I mean, what would it be if the bird girl didn't have her bird feeders filled, right? Come on. <laughs> how often do you have to fill the feeders? Oh, daily. Really? Every day? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I have uh, so many birds here. And then, of course, I've got some four-legged creatures that come in the night to clean them all up for me. <laughs> the deer they show help, up, right? Yeah. No, and there's some squirrels here and stuff. So, yeah, but uh, I've probably had about 150 red poles here all winter. And for a little finch, boy, those birds can eat a lot of food. So they clean up the feeders every day, especially yeah. with those temperatures we were having and wind and everything. It was pretty, pretty cruel this winter. That little finch is at Sherry's house. <laughs> Yeah, they're fat and happy for sure. <laughs> we were talking earlier too about that beautiful picture you have behind you. And I want you to tell a story of that. It's a picture of some a birch grove. 
Yes. So that's by an artist named Peter McConville. He lived here in Winnipeg. He was from Ireland and um, he, I've got a series of his pictures. That's the fall scene. I've also got a really beautiful spring one and uh, he fed the birds and was very inspired by nature as you can see by that. And he actually did another painting that I'm looking at getting. It was uh, a winter scene and it was from my property. He came here many times taking pictures of of the trees and and different things in in my property and uh, he ended up doing a painting of my barn in winter time so that's something I'm looking at possibly adding to my collection but um, he passed away last year um, but I really love his art they're just so inspiring and so nature I mean just looking at them makes me feel so good I just love them I think that's the, that's a really good point, and and I know that hospitals now are paying attention to that kind of artwork on their walls. Any nature or natural scene, particularly of trees, seems to have a a very beneficial effect on people's health and helps them to heal quicker. It seems a little odd, but apparently that's what is true. Well, it is true. I think I think it was Hippocrates who said, you know, nature is our greatest medicine, and and that is true in so many ways. And I mean, during these past couple of years with all this nonsense going on in the world, (laughs) it is amazing how many people finally got in touch with nature. It was quite surprising to see how many people got into feeding birds just because they were at home so much, but how um, unaware they were of what actually is out there. It was just shocking to see people who had come in that, you know, have lived in the same house for 30 or 40 years and they came and saying, oh, we've got these birds and these birds and I guess they're all coming around now because there's not many people out because of COVID, you know, and it's like, no, these birds have always been here. But, you know, people are so caught up in their daily lives and how busy they are in their routines. I think they it really has shown people how much they have to just stop and take a moment and enjoy what's around them. And I find that really important because I think when people feed birds, they get more in touch with nature and then they're more conscious of their actions and how it affects nature mm-hmm. so so it's uh it's a wonderful thing to see and i i really hope that sticks and i think it will because um feeding birds it's almost kind of a little bit of an addiction it's like you just can't yeah. wait to what you might see and you yeah. hope for that little sighting and so yeah it's a lovely hobby so well it i must say that it's true of the whole gardening world uh we've seen the gardening interest just absolutely right. balloon and uh, right. in fact, two, a year ago, we were told that there were two million new gardeners in Canada. And I'm sure that's just a, a touch, you know, the tip of the iceberg. Um, our friend right. uh, at Jeffrey's, um, at Jeffrey, not Jeffrey's Nurseries, uh, Vessie's Nurseries, I should say, tells us that, uh, you know, their business more than doubled. Right. And they didn't even know in, in 2020 how they were going to fill the orders. In fact, the post right. office was overwhelmed. So I think there is a lot of interest. It's, it's slowed down a little bit now, but I think a lot of it will stick. And I certainly hope so, because it's very good for people. Exactly. It's so therapeutic and it's it's very important. I mean, it just it really showed me how caught up in their lives people are. And that's really not a healthy way to be. You've got to take that time to sit down and enjoy what's around you instead yeah. of, you know, go, go, go all the time. I mean, it's. And I'm, you know, I'm not one to, I mean, owning a business, I'm, I'm on the go. But I do take that time every morning. That's part of my morning ritual to go out and fill the feeders and 
have a coffee and watch them, you know, and take that time to just enjoy. So that is definitely part of my daily ritual, no matter what. So I'm, I'm out first thing in the morning in my pajamas. That's what I do. I get up and go straight outside and fill my feeders. And then I come in and make coffee. What's that? Winter and summer. Yeah. Winter and summer year round. So Mm -hmm. like I was saying, I have anywhere from 12 to 24 feeders up at a time, depending on the season. So Sometimes I'm out there for 45 minutes to an hour getting them filled, but uh, I, I love it. And it's definitely, it's, very um, it's yes, in, incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's one of so the lucky things. So, so now you've got a lot of birds. Do you see anything coming back? I, I did hear some geese the other day. The geese are definitely coming back. I've seen several flocks and I woke up yesterday morning, opened my curtain and there were a couple dark-eyed juncos. So for the birding community, juncos are a real indicator bird. So when they show up in spring, it's a wonderful sight because that usually means that the end of winter is very near. Um, even though I didn't like the forecast I saw this morning, apparently we have another little wave of something coming through. But I saw but that. Yeah. Yeah, but they're a great indicator that spring is definitely here. So I was really happy to open my curtains and see them out there. So what does a junco look like? So for people who are not great with birding, you would say they were kind of like a sparrow looking bird in size, but they're a charcoal gray color. Their whole body's charcoal gray, except for their belly, which is white. So they're, they're a lovely bird that comes through in migration in spring and fall. So in spring, we too. love seeing them. They're, yeah, they're chubby. They're round. Birds. Yeah. Yeah. Very round. Yeah. They have lovely calls and chirps and tweets that they do. And and like I say, when they show up in spring, it's a wonderful sign. When we see them in fall, not so wonderful of a sign because that means that winter is coming. So, so yeah, so the, I did see those. And this winter, um, we did have a lot of cardinal sightings. The cardinals are mm. really starting to flourish here in, in Manitoba, mainly in Winnipeg, I would say, not Manitoba. But um there's several breeding pairs here now, and same with red-bellied woodpeckers. Their most northern range is usually about Minnesota, but they've been spreading more and more into Manitoba the past few years, and we now have confirmed breeding pairs of those here as well. So it's very exciting. Um, there's been lots of rare things to see. There was also some varied thrushes here this winter, which are just spectacular. They're kind of like a robin-like bird. Mm-hmm. Um with a really bright, bright orange breast and black masks. And um, they were lovely. And we had quite a few sightings of them this winter, which is quite rare too. So, where so it was Cardinals, exciting. Where are the Cardinals being sighted at, at, in Winnipeg? What, um, what area? Lots of areas. Um, lots in North Kildona. North Kildona is definitely a hot spot there. And that is where some of the breeding pairs have been seen. But we've definitely had a, a regular pair out here in South St. Battelle. And uh, around St. Mattel Park, I've had some reports as well. And in St. Norbert, and we've had some in Charleswood. So it's quite amazing how widespread they are. I was waiting for you to say Charleswood. It's there. Yeah, I've had a few people in that area that have had them. So both male and female too. So that's pretty exciting. Okay, so if you want to get, if you want them to come to your yard or choose you, what would you suggest? So for Cardinals, they, they love Black sunflowers, I've always said, is like your universal food or the sunflower with no shell. But with cardinals, you just want to make sure, excuse me, that you have um, a flat open kind of feeder, a platform style. 
they are a bit of a larger species, so they have a hard time balancing on small pegs. So, so as long as you have a nice ledge for them to land on, the more open, the better. And that's what would get them coming. All right. I don't have one of those feeders. I'll have to get, get busy this summer and get one up. It does make a difference for a lot of birds to have something more open. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, obviously more accommodating. They can see what's going on around them. And for your viewing pleasure, they're nice too, because it's open and you can see everything that's going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Now, um, not all birds will nest in nests that you put up. Which ones would you be able to attract aside from wrens and house sparrows? The most common birds here are wrens and chickadees. Those are the most common to be able to get into a birdhouse. Um, anything over that size of hole in a cavity, you're most likely just going to get house sparrows. But we do have tree swallows and eastern bluebirds that will use nesting boxes. But in general, truly, the majority of birds here do not use cavities. They yeah. nest openly trees and shrubs or even on the ground. So so wrens and chickadees are definitely the most popular for sure. So if, it, if you're going to get a robin, he's just going to pick his place someplace flat. I've seen robins yeah, you can. on top of light fixtures. Exactly. That's a very common place right out people's front door on their, their mm -hmm. light. That's a very common place or in hanging baskets. Um, but you can actually put up shelves for robins. The robins and doves will often use a, a shelf if there's really? one in a nice spot so yeah because they do like to build on a on a surface like that so yeah so no birdhouses are something you want to have up by the last week in April or very early May to make sure that the location is up so they can find them and birdhouses should always be a minimum of 15 to 20 feet away from any bird feeders you really want to make sure they have a quiet spot to to look after their young so, right so what about with these shells? Would they not be vulnerable to squirrels? And Absolutely. And, and that is the case with robin and doves in general, unfortunately, because they do build their nests openly like that. So they're a predator. You know, the grackles are bad for taking their eggs, crows, magpies. So the, it is unfortunate that they are, that is something they deal with all the time. So if you were to do a shelf, you'd want to try and do it somewhere more secluded. That's why I think they build often on the light fixtures outside people's doors because it's not so accessible by some yeah. predators. So, yeah. Yeah, there's always a little shelter over the top as well. But do squirrels right. go after those nests or no? Oh, yes, absolutely. They can. Yeah. Yeah. Do they take the eggs or what? do they just take the nests? They will take the eggs and sometimes they will even, if they find a nest with newly hatched chicks, they'll even take those. So, yeah. So nobody likes to see that stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> so I've yeah. seen a gray squirrel eating a bird's head. I think it was a chick. So yeah, uh, I've never seen that with a red squirrel. Maybe they're just smarter than <laughs> they can. They yeah. can, but uh, both both the reds and grays can do that. So yeah, talking yeah. So no, they're oh, go ahead. talking about squirrels. There's a squirrel. Oh, there's a squirrel feeder. There's a bird feeder that has a thing that this poor squirrel gets on and gets a big cycle ride what do you think of those yeah that's called the flipper and it's a battery operated bird feeder so it's a rechargeable feeder but um truly for manitoba they're not the greatest because in winter they they don't hold a charge so they don't usually work uh with especially this winter i mean they are kind of entertaining in, in summertime but they're very expensive i don't even stock them because they're so expensive yeah. and in winter they're not that functional so i thought they were kind there of are other squirrel proof 
Yeah, they are. I think they are too, actually. I've seen videos of it and I don't care for it. So that's why I don't, I don't carry them. Yeah. So unless we do have other squirrel proof Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I've seen the video after where they're walking around like they're drunk because yeah, they hung yeah. on to them. But there are other squirrel proof options that are, you know, that work very well. So we have a line of feeders called squirrel busters, which work absolutely great. So what are some of the and there's no, no harm? Pardon what me? Some, what are some of the strategies they use? Uh, it's a weight activated feeder. So when the birds are on the feeder, they're able to access the seed. But as soon as the weight of a squirrel is anywhere on the feeder, it closes off the feeding port so that there's no access to the mm. food. Wow. Yeah, so they work very well. Yeah, there's different sizes of them and they work absolutely great. They can't chew into them. There's lots of knockoffs of this particular brand sold at, you know, department stores and things, but uh, the original authentic patented one can only be sold in wild bird stores. So unfortunately, some people have bought ones that look similar and the squirrels have chewed them to pieces or figured them out, but it's because they are just knockoffs and not the actual buster line. So yeah. what's, what what is that? Squirrel Buster, is that the name of the brand? Correct. Yeah. So people yeah. know what to buy, what to ask for when they come yes. to the store. Yeah. The, because squirrels can be a, they can be an expensive little item <clears throat> if you have bird feeders. Exactly. And it's, it's nice to have at least one feeder in your yard that is totally squirrel proof, just so there is always something for the birds. Because I do find over time, most people do end up with more than one feeder. It's just the way it goes. It's, yeah. You know, just want more as time goes on or sometimes there's a certain bird you really enjoy. So you want to see more of them. So there's sometimes a different food you can put out to encourage that bird. So, so yeah, so, it, you know, it's just nice to have one feeder at least that the squirrels can't dominate. Yeah. So if not all of them, right. So it just depends. Squirrels are a love or hate thing. There's no doubt. I have people who come in that really enjoy them and then others just live their lives battling them. So I like chipmunks, but <clears throat> the chipmunks that we've had in our yard all, all ended up in the skimmer in the pool. Oh, sadly, I even built them a ladder one year to keep them from getting drowned. But I haven't seen any for a long, long time. Do you think the red squirrel is keeping them away? No, they um, unfortunately, I think the predominant thing for them is cats. A lot of cats get the chipmunks because they're quite vulnerable. So we do hear a lot of that, um, unfortunately. So. So yeah, there, I know we used to have people who had tons of chipmunks coming around, but their numbers really have dwindled down these past few years. I yeah. know people who had numerous of them rarely see them. So it's kind of sad because they're so cute. They are. And they're so tame. Maybe that's their downfall. Yeah. I have a friend yesterday who said this chipmunk comes and looks in her window. The squirrel comes <laughs> and looks in my window. They, I've got gray ones in the front and red ones in the back. And the big gray ah. one comes down and he looks in the window, peers at me. As sitting here in front of my computer, <laughs> and he scrambles across <laughs> and goes up the cedar tree on the other side. Yes, I get that too. No, and this winter because the snow is so darn high, I have um, feeders that suction cup onto my window, and the squirrels have never been able to get to those. But the snow is so high that now they're able to get into them. So yeah, I'm hoping those areas melt a little quicker to stop that from happening. So yeah. I get I get uh, the red squirrel comes up into the window box in the backyard in, in, above my kitchen sink. And uh, he just kind of used to me and just ignores me. I think he's like, I know. scraps upstairs. <laughs> they do get that way where they literally just look back at you like, you know, yeah, there's yeah. no, no word about anything. So I think it was a hard yeah. winter for 
for many animals this year because they can't forage very well. There's too much snow. Exactly. Uh, no, it definitely was. There was a lot of um, sawit owls. They're a smaller owl that are here mm-hmm. in Manitoba, and there was quite a few of them that were found dead this year. And um, I know one of the scientists, Dr. Jim Duncan, um, was saying that a lot of them were showing signs of starvation. So I think it was just a really hard winter for a lot of the animals to find food with that much snow. So they can't see so, the mice. The mice are down under having a little exact. <clears throat> yeah, oh. we're so far under the under the snow. So it, yeah, it was tough. And even with deer and stuff like that, I mean, the snow was so deep mm-hmm. that we had so many people falling about deer with broken legs and things like that. So yeah, it was a rough winter for all of us. Terrible. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> Everybody's glad to see the end of it this year. It's really been very snowy and extremely cold in, in December, November, or February. Yep. January, February. And just to see the highways close so much and everything. I mean, I'd never remember a winter that bad with stuff going on like that. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. So, so much yeah. drifting. The snow just drifts onto the highway and you're dead. There's nothing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, So, yeah, spring is uh, very, very, very welcome this year. So seeing the geese showing up and everything is just such a great feeling. I just love that. You mentioned the uh, these little owls. And I was going to ask you about owls earlier because I've never actually encountered one. Um, For some reason, I haven't, you know, except when I was very young. Maybe maybe I'm too noisy now. So... (laughs) What am I doing wrong when I go for my walk in the woods and I'm not, and people are saying, Oh, did you see the big white howl over there? No. (laughs) (laughs) That is surprising that you haven't at least seen a great horned owl where you live because they're very prolific around your area. Yeah. There's lots of them there. They nest out there. I mean, great horned owls actually nest pretty much everywhere in the city where there's mature trees. Um, They're quite common here and they're here year round. So I, I, there are nothing you can attract to your yard, of course, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, when you're walking My through the parks, the, yeah. they're so camouflaged. So that's the thing. Like there's probably times you've walked right by one and didn't yeah. even see it. So, so they hang out the in, thing. in holes in trees. Some do like screech owls will, will go in cavities, but larger owls like the great horned or the barred owl, which is another one that are quite common in the parks. They'll just be sitting, you know, on a branch close to the trunk of the tree. So they just blend in so much that, um, you know, and they're very still during the day. A lot of times they're resting. So they're, they're very still. And like, unless you're truly stopping and looking and observing, it's really hard to spot them. So Any particular yeah. place that they like to hang out? Any particular trees they like? I need hints here. Well, the like the uh, I see a lot of great horns on my property are in the spruce trees for sure. But uh, they'll I've seen them, you know, in St. Patel Park, sitting in the oak trees there and stuff. So they're pretty much anywhere where there's a, a place to perch and. Um, you know, they're nesting now. The great horned owls have started nesting. So they're one of the earliest nesters we have here. So they're already on the go. So so they're um, on nests at this time. So they're hunting a lot right now. So getting all them squirrels. <laughs> so now I could, so now would be a good time to go out there looking, I guess. I yeah. unfortunately am going to take a little trip to the Caribbean uh, in the next couple of weeks, which I'm really sad about, you know, of course. Oh. I'm for you, the <laughs> yeah. tragedy of it all. <laughs> I know. I, I really feel like I need to get away, though. 
but uh, you know, it's when I come back, I'm going to try and find myself an owl. Seems it seems really unfair not to be able to see an owl for me. <laughs> no I kidding, I can't believe you haven't. I just find that surprising considering where you live. You you know, they're even at night. Sometimes people see them on the light standards, sitting out on the light standards at nighttime. So, gotta start looking up more. But looking then again, more, we trip yeah. and fall. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, I'm going to take a little, we're going to take a little break and we're going to have a song by, corner, I think, by the Bee Gees. song from the Bee Gees. There's a light, certain kind of light that never shone on me. I want my life to be, to live with you. surprise was the song to love somebody <laughs> who is the, yes. who are we talking about here share anybody particular not at all but you know what that song just the Bee Gees um just are a bit of a flashback to the the 70s I remember my parents listening to that when I was a kid just you know the Bee Gees were so big back then so so yeah those are just kind of a nostalgic kind of song for sure so I mean, the music from that period is really still very, very popular with every generation. Yes. What yeah, it's those are those are the kind of bands where you know the music will go on forever. Some of that music that goes on today, I don't actually even consider that music. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, 
it that's why I think it does appeal to so many people because it's you know true honest music and you know honest lyrics and it just uh you feel it you know it's yeah. it's beautiful well that's what this show is all over the show this radio station is all about um now we're going live on May the 1st and with uh we've got a lineup of about 10 broadcasters and it'll be partly music, but also a little bit of talk. So um, now won't be the only talk show in our podcast anymore. <clears throat> One of the shows nice. is going to be Glenn Kowalczyk, who uh, used to be my producer at CJOB. And he is going to do a show about freaky things, creepy things. So UFOs, ghosts, hauntings, the spirit world. I think it's going to be fascinating. He's nice. Oh, that's great. Humor. So I don't know, maybe he can find, maybe he'll have a spooky story about a bird. <laughs> do birds come back? Now, here's a question for you. Do birds come back in people's hauntings? Do people tell you they're haunted by a bird? Never. No. I mean, movies, you know, have depicted that kind of thing. But truly, birds are more of a positive thing. In fact, here's a very quick, lovely story. I, I, I have many stories of this nature, but birds are very common sightings or meanings after somebody passes right and this is a really lovely story of many years ago I had this um, elderly couple that wanted to see an eastern bluebird so they every summer they would go traveling out on these back roads I would give them all these locations where I knew people were seeing them or there were nesting trails of them and they would go they would pack lunches and they would go on these journeys and never did they see an eastern bluebird and it was a like an ongoing joke for years with them and the husband passed away one summer and the wife uh, had family come to the home after and she was in the home and had a little moment of overwhelm so she went to the sink to kind of just rinse some dishes to gather herself and she heard this singing and she looked up out her kitchen window and on a hanging basket there was an eastern bluebird looking in the window singing to her and this is the house that lived in for over 40 years and never had they seen the bluebird and you know the day of the husband's funeral there was this eastern bluebird singing to her out the window so I I've heard so many stories of that nature and I've even experienced them myself like it really is so I don't find birds to be anything haunting if anything they're beautiful messengers well, that's, that's and a beautiful haunting thing I mean that's that's what I yes heard, you know that's a lovely story and uh, almost brings tears to your eyes. That must it be does. gratifying for the woman who felt probably felt so comforted by that. Oh, she came to my store the next day and was just uh, like, she could hardly even tell me the story in full. She was so emotional and it was just so beautiful. So, yeah. and it was just, you know, that special moment for her and it just, you know, really fulfilled her and let her know her husband was okay. Kind of thing, you know, those type of sightings. So, yeah. well, there are a lot of, I mean, that is a legendary thing that, that birds bring messages. That's right. And so, yeah, so- you know, there must be something that uh, makes people think that. Well, when you hear stories like that, it's kind of hard to deny, you know, and like say, I, I've heard so many things like that over the time and even things that I've witnessed, you know, when people mm. have passed, like you just, you can't deny that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's lovely. Yeah. It's very special to hear those stories. It sure is. Um, birds are much more intelligent than I think than people expect them to be, don't they? Yes, there's that old saying, you know, when you're trying to talk down to somebody, you call them a bird brain where it's supposed to be, you know, a a talking down kind of thing. But that's actually probably one of the biggest honors you could be called because birds are absolutely brilliant. And, 
in so many ways, you know, whether they're migratory birds who take two months of their lives each way to migrate back and forth here to the boreal forest and find their way to the exact same branch. I mean, they've put um, locators on some of these birds and they've literally found that they come back to the exact same tree and to the exact same spot. And um, it's, it's just, they're remarkable. All of the things birds do, their mating dances, you know, their survival skills. It just, it's incredible everything about birds. And the more you learn about them, I mean, it's impossible to even know it all. There's so much about them. It's just incredible. Well, amazing that we come back to the same tree. You wonder if there's a relationship between the tree and the bird too, because we're discovering Absolutely. so much about trees and their ability to... Uh, I don't know, connect with other life forms and do things, you know, they have a, a symbiotic relationship with so many other life forms. That's you know? right. And yeah, they've, they've definitely found that some birds have literally landed on the same branch and they found if birds did return to an area where the trees had been cut, um, they, some birds were just found absolutely disoriented because, you know, their, their locators in their mm-hmm. head are saying this tree should be here. Yeah. And they circle and circle almost till exhaustion because wow. they're, you know, their bodies telling them this is the spot but they're you know it's gone so it's it's um it's uh, whenever I see trees being cut it's it's always so sad mm-hmm. I always that's all I think about is all the nature and wildlife like whether it's insects or birds everything that that suffers oh, when trees yeah. are cut. although yeah. trees do fall and they do you do ultimately die so it's part of that whole great natural cycle of things isn't it Absolutely. And when a tree does naturally die and fall, of course, it serves a whole other purpose yeah, then yeah. too. So it yeah. still keeps on giving. Yeah. In the birds that you, you see them coming back to your yard year after year, do you recognize the same bird? I definitely can say I do because um, here's an example. One spring I was in my kitchen vacuuming and by the corner of my eye, I kept seeing this waving sign every time I'd look, it'd be gone. And I started to question about what was wrong with my eyes. And so finally I stopped and waited and there was a hummingbird waving in front of my window because I normally had a feeder hanging there and it showed up earlier than I expected and didn't have my feeder up. So, I mean, it, it was out there saying like, hello, I'm back. Where's yeah. my food? Yeah. So, you know, when you see things like that, you, you know, for sure that those are the birds that were here the previous year. So. I think I recognize my wrens. They're you probably, know, yeah. Yeah. I think they recognize me, which is even more important. How long would a wren exactly. live? They can, you know what, in general, it's probably like four to five years, but I mean, right. you can give or take you know, with nature, but, but in that kind of span, yes. But do birds, and this is a question I guess people are still looking for, do they have um, a memory that carries on from generation to generation? That is something I've looked into as well, because I've lived in the same spot here now for over 20 years. And obviously, I do have generations of birds that come here, including migratory birds. And I can't help but to think that the answer to that is absolutely yes, because Mm -hmm. um, just with what I observe in respect to their behaviors of what they do here and where to go in my yard. And and, um, I just can't help but think that that is absolutely the case. So. Yeah, because you wonder about that. I mean, with butterflies, with monarchs, for example, it takes more than mm-hmm. one generation to get here. So there has to be some universal. Exactly. That, that's what's yeah. so fascinating. 
But it is. And I mean, how we ever know, but it's like when you witness this stuff, you can't help but think that that's the case. So, yeah. and you think about things like pigeons carrying messages, you know, I mean, I guess some of that was just habit because I knew where they were flying to and from, but um, you, there seemed to be something more driving them in, uh, you know? Yes. A lot yeah, no, I agree. Yep. And it just, um, there's again, so many studies that have been done on birds in respect to this kind of stuff. And I guess it's hard to, for scientists to say yes, for sure about this stuff, but with some of this behavior that's been observed, it's kind of hard to say no. And I mean, even the memory of them finding the exact same tree and everything mm -hmm. again, that we talked about, right. I mean, that shows there is memory in there for sure. So yeah. Do you think birds have relationships with other animals? So are they, do they become friends with the squirrels in a particular area or the hedgehog or the fox? There would be in some cases. I mean, um, for example, cattle egrets, you know, they hang around, they've earned their name because they hang around with the cattle and there's definitely a symbiotic relationship there. And same with other uh, cowbirds and stuff also hung around the cows eating the insects and things from them. So um, there definitely is some relationships you can see where they benefit each other. So I definitely think in some cases that's absolutely true. Well, I was thinking about birds and I was thinking about, I guess, blue jays and the story that one woman told of how the, the blue jay would uh, look after this other animal. I can't remember what it was now and help it to get fed. And then when there was danger, you know, it would make us uh, make the signal. Um, what was yeah, the other I have heard stories like that too. I've heard yeah. stories like that too, of that nature for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I think years ago I heard, and it was a blue jay as well. And I think it was a, a squirrel that had a broken leg and yeah, was not so, able to climb yeah. the trees properly. And the blue jay was dropping peanuts to it so i you know i've heard stuff like that so or how about the crows who mourn their dead and will, yes yes come and, and do a little funeral service and then leave something a stick or something like that on the dead and then off they go yes okay. and there was even some footage that came out a couple of weeks ago i think it was in washington i have to remember where it was but there was a, a cat that had been killed on the road and a whole flock of wild turkeys were circling it. They just circled and circled this cat for the longest time as if they were doing some kind of ritual mourning for it. Mm -hmm. And then they all marched away in single file after they had circled it for quite some time. So there was a lot of people who videotaped that and posted it. So again, you know, it's uh, there's definitely rituals to these birds as well. And they must have friendships with this outside their own kind, even if there's not a symbiotic relationship. Because I right. you know, they, they do they do see these same animals every day and, you know, somebody might have a, a nest in the same tree you do. Maybe a squirrel has, or well, squirrels don't usually right, nest, yeah. but sometimes at the base. Yeah. No. And even, you know, in my yard, I see the deer here and the rabbits are all hopping around right at their feet without any yeah. issues. You know, it's like they all know each other and, you know, but if a coyote comes running around, then of course they're all gone. Right. So okay. it's like, now yeah. I got to tell you, that's another thing I haven't seen is a coyote or a fox you in, in this oh. city. Since I was a little girl. So Dorothy, I think you are not looking out the right window or something. Not going you out the right should window. be seeing all of those. That's right. I, <laughs> I mean, the coyote, maybe not so much. They are seeing those more in the city now, but the foxes, I'm surprised you haven't seen one at some point. Yeah, right. I know, there's a, there. I know there's a pair here in, not far from me. 
<clears throat> because a friend hmm. of mine had them nesting in his doghouse or something in the backyard. And the, oh wow! Yeah. So I'm that, very be you know very downtrodden and bereft and. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just right the time now. will come. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. with spring coming, all the new birds are on the way. And, to, it, you know, it's interesting to think a lot of these birds have already started their migration, even though they may not be here till May. So, um, yeah, there's lots of great stuff on the way. So what do you think people are going to see next? The juncos, you say, are here. We've seen the, the geese in the air. What's next? Well, we've seen the geese now. We've seen some dark-eyed juncos showing up and uh, I've had a couple robin sightings now. So it's um, usually by... Um, mid-April we start getting the goldfinches which are you know a huge favorite in summertime so so yeah this time of year it's mainly the the real hardier type birds like the right. the geese and juncos robins but um, by by early April you know more stuff will start showing up but the goldfinches I think are the real trigger for for spring for summer feeding so yeah. All right. Now with the goldfinches the, uh, the thinking has start, uh, changed a little bit about the kind of feeders Tell me about that. Well, there used to be the upside down feeders was very popular with <clears throat> with goldfinches. Or actually, I wouldn't say they were popular with the goldfinches. They were a popular marketed feeder right. for them. Because finches can cling and hang in any direction because they normally eat seeds from yeah. uh, plant pods once they've dried up and they hang and cling so they designed these upside down feeders um, so that the finches would hang upside down. But I mean, gravity doesn't make it for anything to want to eat upside down. So um, the sure they're cute, but you'll definitely have better results with a right side up feeder for sure. And um, finch feeders just have very tiny, tiny feeding ports so that only finches can get the seed out. So you're not going to be dealing with house sparrows. Uh, getting at the feeder because they can just dominate those feeders and chase the finches away if you don't have a proper finch feeder. Okay. And food choices, nitrogen seed has kind of always been the traditional food, but um, over time, definitely we've found that they really love crushed up shelled sunflower seeds. Mm, do they? So you can use that or you can even mix it with the niger and that's a really great combination to get them coming. So I think I have to buy a new feeder when I come to your store this spring. Because I think I've got the old one that that Glenn put up, and they haven't yeah, been coming there that much, and maybe that's why. Yeah, and humming or sorry, goldfinch feeders should—they're um, always better if they're kind of hung in their own spot rather yeah. than close to other feeders. Yeah, just because some birds are kind of bullies bullies to them. So if you have a, a spot to put them on their own, that'll always work better as well. Right. No, they are by themselves, but maybe they don't like cherry trees. I don't know. I'll have to try them in the ash. <laughs> Is there a well, difference for the trees? Not necessarily, but placement-wise, they do like to be in trees, but they should be exposed. I think a big mistake people make is talking them into foliage. You know, they think they're giving them yeah, a you know, sheltered spot, but they don't like that. They like to be in the trees, but they like to be open, you know, so off a limb where it's a little more open yeah, and it yeah. would be better. Yeah, okay. for sure. Do birds have preferences for particular trees? Are there trees birds don't like to have you hang your heat feeder in? No, I wouldn't say there is. It, it would just be more of the factor of it being hung in a way where it's the feeder is reasonably exposed. So that would be the main thing. I can't really think of a tree that would deter them from coming. Okay. So, 
Yeah. But they certainly like certain trees, don't they? Because some big, some birds will prefer to go to a an evergreen tree than um, um, a tree or when no. it comes to food. I don't know. When it comes to food at a feeder, I think any tree is actually okay. But when it, you know, if it's a a tree for nesting choices, or if they're searching for natural food, obviously there's preferences there. But when it comes to hanging a bird feeder, I don't think that really um, makes that much of a difference when you're offering the right food with the right feeder to the birds you're trying to cater to. How about height? So bird feeders should always be at least five feet. You can go as high as you would like, but five feet, you know, is the lowest you would want a feeder to be hung. Okay. If you're building a post feeder or a a table feeder, how tall should those be? Or does it matter? So I do have, um, sorry, excuse me. I do have some platform feeders that are on legs. So they're like freestanding platform feeders. And those are usually about three feet off the ground. But those, again, you want to make sure that they're also in an open spot so that they can see if any predators are lurking around. So those would be a minimum of three feet, but otherwise um, hanging ones should be at least five. Okay. Because I think, you know, that's one of the issues. People aren't sure where to mm-hmm. hang or how high, how high up do they have to get? Do I have to climb the tree to put that bird feeder up? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. It doesn't have to be that out of reach for sure. So. <laughs> There's still yeah, a lot of seeds and things on the trees that in the natural world birds will be foraging from. Yeah, absolutely. They're always um, looking for um, maple trees have lots of seeds to offer. And there's been lots of wax wings this winter because the mountain ash trees uh, had so many berries last year. So wax wings were seen throughout the winter in really large flocks throughout the city, which people were really enjoying. So, so yeah, when trees have leftover berries and seeds, uh, there's lots of birds that will take advantage of that. But if the robins are coming back, they like, to eat, you know, like living things, um, don't they? Like, like the worms and stuff, you mean? Yeah, that, but uh, they eat lots of berries as well. So they're, they're quite hardy. Robins are a pretty hardy bird. That's why they're one of the first ones here and uh, almost one of the last to leave. So what can you do to make their lives a little easier <laughs> if they're, if they're already here? So you can offer um, raisins. They love dark raisins. You can even soak them to plump them up a bit. You can do um, dried mealworms, <clears throat> excuse me, or even live mealworms. They enjoy those. And they will eat any seed that is out of the shell. So like shelled sunflower seeds. And with robins, you want to offer that on a flat open surface because they're definitely not a bird that's used to perching on feeders. So some kind of low platform. I even use um, the saucers from plant pots are, con- okay, are, are yeah. good for that the terracotta ones I use those for for ground feeders for them and that works really well okay so you know because they 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 just you know I guess need do they need a a variety of things in their diet I mean all birds none of them are just sort of one thing are they don't they all take something else for protein or whatever um not all birds for example like goldfinches are strictly herbivores they don't eat any insects or anything like that um, and so it, it depends on the species, but <clears throat> in general, when you're offering a bird feeder, that is strictly a supplemental thing. No birds are ever dependent on bird feeders. So, um, anything you offer is nothing that birds are going to be reliant on or dependent on because they do always search for natural food as well. Okay. 
do you need to think about their their dietary needs in winter uh, with regard to introducing higher fat foods or no? It's nice to offer that. That's why suet is quite popular. Suet is rendered beef or, or venison fat that has nuts and fruit and insects mixed into it. And the whole concept of feeding suet came from observing that in nature when a deer would die, you know, the coyotes or the ravens would open up the animal. When that fat was exposed, the little songbirds would come down and start eating that. So suet is a great form of energy for them. Um, Suet is something where there's a lot of bad information on the internet that lard is acceptable as suet and bacon fat. And really none of that is suet. By definition, suet is the really pure kind of fat that's found around the organs of Hard, beef hard and venison. Hard fat, right? Yes. Yeah. If you've so, ever, you know, seen a, 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 a cow slaughtered or something, you'll see that hard fat. That's right. That is true suet. So nothing pork based, you know, processed things like lard and, and bacon fat and all that. Those are not suitable fat. Yeah. Those are not things birds would find in nature. So. But that does help them through their, to keep them warmer if they get a little bit of, uh, you know, that kind of fat. Of the- Yep, the suet is is an excellent thing, and uh, the birds love it. That brings lots of woodpeckers throughout the winter, and chickadees, and nuthatches. So it's a it's a really fun food to offer. Okay, and anything else people should think about at this time of the year? How about water? I guess there's a lot of water around right now, so it's okay. Yep. No, the things to start thinking about. I mean, we're still uh, a good month away, but you know, end of April is usually when I tell people to start getting up their hummingbird and oriole feeders. Right. Mid-April, make sure your goldfinch feeders are up. So that's definitely spring. There's no question. It it is the most exciting time of year when it comes to feeding birds, because you just never know what you're going to see. There's lots of rare birds that come through here as they head more north to the boreal forests for nesting. So you just never know what might see and uh, every season is different um this this season i mean with the amount of snow we have a lot of birds that come here if there is still quite a bit of snow they could be pretty reliant on finding other food sources so those are when we can benefit as people who put out feeders to seeing something unusual okay so i guess right now just um just keep your eyes open keep your camera poised do you take good yeah and Yes, I do. I, I do love uh, photographing for sure. I'm I'm by no means a photographer, but I just have uh, a good camera and I got my feeders always set up at the right angle. So if I do get something, I can get a nice shot. So do you have, yeah, a, there was one. Oh, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say, do you have a, a, a telephoto lens? No, I just have a, I bought a nice Nikon uh, camera that, you know, is just with a really good zoom. So right. that's what I use because yeah. I'm not a photographer. So the, even the camera I bought is way beyond my skills. So, <laughs> um, but, but it works great. And in the spring of 2015 was a phenomenal spring for really great birding. And that spring alone, I, I got some of the best photos I ever got of uh, orchard orioles, which are a less commonly seen oriole here. I had a lot of them come through, um, beautiful rose-breasted grosbeaks, and I had an indigo bunting. So some springs, uh, you just never know what's going to come through and how good it's going to be. And then other springs, you know, if, if the season has advanced quite a bit already and there's already lots of natural food showing up, you may not see as many. So you, it just depends on the weather and everything, how good it can be. Well, I think this spring, um, 
I wonder if it's going to be good because it's all the snow. Yeah, I think so. And with how cold it's been, I think it might be a little later in respect to what natural offerings there might be. So like I say, that's when we can really benefit. So grape jelly and oranges, that's got to be one of the best things to put out in spring to bring some of the most spectacular birds. So those are one of my all-time favorite things to put out. Okay, so let's get some grape jelly and get ready for the spring. Yes. Okay. Sherry, I want to thank you very much. In spite of the technical difficulties, I think we ended up with a <laughs> great show. Do you have another song you'd like us to play on the way out? Um, how about By the Rivers of Babylon by Boney M. Oh, that's I know that's your favorite, right? It's just such a happy song. <laughs> I'll put anybody in a good mood that one okay we'll do it thank you again it's always so good to see you and are we going to thank see you, you in the gardener uh, or in the in lifestyle this uh, is for april i'm working on that i'm hoping i can work that out i didn't realize that was easter weekend so that's a bit of a chance but well, oh, i'm no. working on it no no i don't mean at the show because we've canceled it we've had to cancel simply because people are so oh. of covid and so we're going to do oh. it next year so mark your calendars for next year folks for the garden show uh, it's coming oh, up good. Uh, same weekend, April 14th, 15th, that, that weekend. But uh, this year, okay. uh, just people are just still too nervous and um, staffing is hard for some of the stores. So we've put it off for a year. Right. Okay, good. I'm looking for your wonderful writing in Lifestyles 55. Okay, this one, you've got one coming. All right. <laughs> These past few months were a little tough, but I will get one to you soon. I know people have been asking, where are you? So I got to get on that. There you go. Well, Sherry, it's always a delight to have you. And uh, gosh, we've known each other now for, what, 25 years? Yes, exactly. Amazing, isn't it? Where the heck did that time go? I know, it's unreal. And like you said, we still look so young. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for being on the air. And folks, we're going to hear the Rivers of Babylon by Boney M as we go out. See you soon, Sherry. Thank you. Take care, Dorothy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. By the rivers of fire.